Let me see if my... Yay! There we go. Um, we're, uh, we're working on part, uh, part four. Is it part four? My turn. Part three. Where's my slide today? Part four of uh, our Kingdom Man series. And what, what this series has been, and, and if this is a topic that's of interest to you, you can go back and listen to it online. Um, the church's Facebook page has a link for all the sermons um, that sometimes even gets updated. Um, she's not in here. My wife does it, so I can't pick on her if she's not in here. Um, and, and what we've been looking at, we've been looking at, at what it means to be a, God, uh, a man that reflects God's glory in, in, in the world around you. A man that, um, um, when people look at you, they know, like, this is a guy who, who represents God, right? Somebody who, like, exerts God's authority in the world around them. And, and the reason we're working on this is, this is one of those topics that that the church has fallen like woefully short on. Um, um, Christian men oftentimes don't show up, um, you know. And 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 historically, um, like historically, the church has a great tradition of, of men who've led the way and, and have done great things in the world. And in the last fifty years or so, there have been fewer and fewer men involved in the church, and and that's resulted in kind of a watered down effect, and and um, isn't really as positive a thing as you might think. Um, the, the, that was a joke. It must have been terrible. Um, so what we're looking at is we're looking at what God calls us to be as men. And actually, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 11. Um, I've got to admit, I was going to start this series with this passage because it's a difficult one. And I've never heard a sermon on it, and so I was very excited at the prospect of preaching on it. Um, but, but so we're here, and this is, this is a fun one. This is on... on Sorry, I got distracted by somebody talking up there. <laughs> um, so we're going to start out. Paul is writing this letter, um, Corinthians. This is the first letter to the church in Corinth. And, and what he's doing is Paul is living in another city, and he's received like, correspondence with a list of questions. Like the, the people in the Corinthian church send them this list, and they're like, hey, we have these questions about church. And we have these questions about church government. And we have these questions about this. And we have these questions about Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter back answering his questions. And so, like, if you read Corinthians, you'll find that it does actually link together. And there's kind of a, a, a structure to it. But, but it's a little more disjointed than some of Paul's other books. Um, because because he's, he's dealing with different issues, right? He's answering questions. Um, in the preceding section... Um, for example, he, he talks about eating meat sacrificed to idols. This doesn't happen around here all that often, right? Because we don't, you know, you don't buy your meat at a corner grocery, or excuse me, in a marketplace where, like, an open-air market, like they have in the ancient world, where you'd walk down the road, and vendors would be selling their wares, and you'd look for the meat that you want, and there's a pretty good chance your meat had been sacrificed to an idol and then sold on the street, you know, because meat's expensive, you don't want to just throw it away. Um... So, but in that culture, it would happen. And, and the church, they had this huge problem where they're like, well, what are we supposed to do if I eat this meat that was sacrificed to, you know, Helen or, or some other, you know, Roman god? Um, does that mean I'm, like, bringing some kind of curse on myself? And, and what am I supposed to do with that? And Paul says, look, you know, Helen doesn't exist. Like, she's not real. She's, she's this pagan god that, you know, they kind of made up, and we, we don't acknowledge her existence. And so, like, you're basically then eating a piece of meat that was sacrificed to like a piece of wood, like a statue. And there's no real power to that. It's not. He says, so it's not going to affect you. You're free in Christ. Christ 
like his death covers you, you're good. Don't worry about it. But if you're around somebody else who might have their faith damaged by watching you eat meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. Everybody got that? So, like, we're free in Christ to do as we will because Jesus covers our sins. Everybody? However, if your freedom causes someone else to stumble, don't do it. Right? Very important. And actually, because verse 1 here, at, at some point in the Middle Ages, there was a fellow who sat down and divided the Bible up into chapters and verses. That wasn't there when Paul wrote this. I know it's shocking. Um, but one of the oddest little spots where it gets broken up is right here. Because verse 1 actually belongs to the preceding section. Um, but I'm including it for a reason. Paul concludes this discussion about don't do stuff with your freedom that causes other people to stumble with this phrase, be imitators of me at just as I also am of Christ. So he says, listen, do what I do because I'm imitating Christ, right? And in the previous paragraph he says, don't do anything that makes people stumble, right? Be Jewish to Jewish people, be Greek to Greeks, because whatever you are needs to be what's going to bring people to Jesus' face. Okay? So you live your whole life to bring people to Christ. Don't worry about your freedom. Don't worry about your customs. What matters is Jesus. Everybody with me? This is important because we're going to talk about hats and haircuts in a minute. Oh my gosh, really? We're talking about that? <laughs> Now I praise you because you remembered me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So Paul begins his, his excoriation. He's about, to, he's about to yell at him for a few things. Okay? And he begins it with, hey, you guys are doing a good job of doing the stuff that I taught you. Right? So he, he opens nice. And did any of y'all parents ever do that? Where they're like, you did a really good job of cleaning your room. But your bed is floating on a pile of stuff, you know. <laughs> and that's, that's where you're you know, hey, you're doing a good job with this. But. So, but. Um, but I want you, and he actually begins the next sentence. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman. And that God is the head of Christ. Now, y'all ever go driving with a map? They, I know for the young ones here, the map is what you pull up on your cell phone that shows you where to go. Like, but, but once upon a time, there were paper maps. And it was hard to believe. <laughs> and and you, would, you would, if you were a man, you would learn to drive holding the map up. And you would be able to see the road and the map at the same time. You've done this, haven't you, Terry? Oh. <laughs> Twilight? <laughs> that has been beaten to death and used wrong a million different ways. 
And one of the reasons is, is if I look at the map and I say, I want to drive on this blue line right here, if I don't know what the blue line is because I'm not looking at the key, I can do anything, right? Hey, the fastest way to get to Missouri is this blue line. Why would I drive on the interstate? <laughs> because I have to have really big tires. But in Montana, it's possible. Um, that was funny. Thank you. <laughs> and so, so the key here is, Christ is the head of every man, right? What purpose does the head serve? Most of y'all have them, right? Some of y'all have them stock places, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, that you took that wrong. I didn't mean that. <laughs> um, that's Rose right there. Not me. <laughs> um, your head, your head does several specific things for you, right? Like it, it sort of does your thinking, right? You do very little seeing without it, right? It sort of directs you, right? Like it's supposed to point the way and you go where it tells you. Like the head is supposed to be kind of in charge, right? Now, if you take your head and you separate it from your body, is the head going to be all right? Not really, right? The body's going to be in pretty bad shape too, right? But like the head, not doing well without it, okay? Why? Because there's sort of this interrelationship that happens right here. Everybody with me? They need each other. They connect together. Now, in relation to Christ and man, Jesus doesn't actually need us. Everybody with me? If he's God, he can make new us, and he'd be okay, right? But the interconnection there is important. Why? Well, as men, right, everybody who's a man say, you know, oh, no, don't. Um, everybody who's a man here, you know, like, like Jesus is supposed to be your head, right? Jesus is supposed to point you in the right direction, Right? Jesus is supposed to like guide you. Jesus is supposed to um, you know, take care of you. Right. Um, in turn, um, you, you kind of carry him around. Right. Like I go out into the world, Jesus goes with me. Right. Because he's 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 my head. Like he's my director. Um, this is a back and forth relationship. Right. Like Christ saves me. Christ serves me. Christ cleanses me. Right? Like, as I sin, I know it's hard to believe, but if you open the paper, apparently it'll tell you all about it. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I sin sometimes. Um, later, people are going to be like, what was he talking about? Um, <laughs> the, the, like, like, sometimes I sin, and Jesus makes me whole again, right? Sometimes I, you know, have to get up and go to work. Not often, because I'm a pastor, it's only once a week. Um, but when I do, the reason I even have a job or I have things to go and do is because Christ has guided my life to this point. Christ serves me, right? Um, Christ demonstrated what leadership is, like at the Last Supper, when, when he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet, right? Um, you know, last week we talked about this, like, you know, the Gentile kings, they lorded over them and they cracked the whip on their people, right? Like, that's how Gentile kings are. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven... You become the least, and you serve the folks around you. You take care of people, and that's how you become great, right? So, like, this is the principle from last week. Men, if you want to be great, if you want to be really great, and it's good to want to be great, if you want to be really, really great, how do you do it? You do it by serving the folks around you. You take care of people. You don't crack the whip. You don't say, go do it now. You take care of folks. Sometimes it means cracking the whip, right? Like, sometimes Abby, as much as I love her, and she's perfect and wonderful, sometimes I have to, you know, push her a little bit to get her to do things. Like, clean her room. You know? <laughs> or I just have Dusty over, and she does it. I, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Anyway, um, 
She's a great babysitter. Yeah. Um, so like this connection that exists between Christ and man is Christ serves and takes care of us, but we obey Christ, right? Like men are supposed to be under Christ, we're supposed to obey him. There's supposed to be this connection. Um, now, in turn, man and woman have a relationship, right? Now, this is where this starts to get muddy. Um, ideally, for married folks, right, this is a pause, this is about married people, but this isn't just a married people sermon, this is an everybody sermon. So listen. Um, between married folks, husband is supposed to be the head, meaning husband is supposed to take care of wife, right? Husband is supposed to, um, you know, spiritually lead. Husband is supposed to provide. Husband is supposed to serve. Husband is supposed to, you know, the, these are the things that go along with it. Is it the case that the husband's in charge? Well, according to the scriptures, yeah. Um, but in charge doesn't mean get me a sandwich, right? It means how do I serve you because I love you. Sometimes can you ask for a sandwich? I don't know. That's between you guys. I'm, I'm watching Victor and Carly over here. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> And I really wanted to pursue that, so I'm just going to put it out there. Um, um, ideally, ideally, the wife serves her husband too, right? Because believe it or not, like my hair wasn't this awesome when I woke up this morning. The rest of me did it for me, right? Um, my teeth don't brush themselves. <laughs> you know, the, my body does it for me, right? Like there's this interconnection, this relationship. My wife is now watching, um, so I have to be good. Um, and so this connection is there. Now, he comes around and he says, look, God is the head of Christ. So the Father, right, is the head of Christ, meaning the Father gave Jesus directions and Jesus followed them. Like when Jesus was about to go to the cross and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's so stressed out, he's sweating blood, right? He's literally bleeding out of his skin. He's so scared. He says, I don't want to do this, God, but your will, not mine, be done. Meaning... What you want is what I'm going to do because you're the boss, you know, and I'll do it. Um, there's an interconnection that exists there. Now, that having been read, we're going to move on, and there's some cultural context here. Believe it or not, um, ancient Corinth, this is Corinth about 50 AD, right? So that's what, like, 1940 years ago, right? About the time Larry was getting out of high school. Um. <laughs> See, your kids stand up for you. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> um, they, they dressed and acted different than we do. I know it's hard to believe, right? It, it, it was a different place in a different time, and people did different things. Now, his audience, these are converts to Christianity who were probably pagans before that, right? This is not a primarily Jewish church. There are Jewish people there, right? People who have been Jewish and converted to Christianity. But it's largely folks who had been pagans. Why does this matter? Well, we'll get there. He says, every man who has something on his head while he's praying or prophesying disgraces his head. The way folks usually read this is, if you have a hat on while you're praying, it's disgraceful. Everybody with me? Have you all heard this before? Um, this is the standard read. Now, this looks pretty obvious, if we don't look at the key, right? What does the key say? Well, what's the head of man? Christ, right? So if I put something on Christ as I go to pray, that's a problem. Well, what exactly is he talking about here? Um, headwear in church and in prayer um, at different times has had different meanings, right? 
Now, he could mean don't ever wear a hat in church, but the problem with that is that Jews wore hats in church all the time. Jesus probably did. They had special shawls that they wore, called a talit, that they would wear over the head while they were praying. It started about 1800 BC. I mean, it was a long time they did this. All Jewish people did it. So when Jesus went to church and Jesus prayed, Jesus put on this little towel with fringes around the edges, and he led prayer, meaning Jesus wore a hat while he prayed. So if I wear a hat while I pray, I'm doing what Jesus did, right? But this is legalism. This isn't how I please God. Like, if I'm worrying about hats and, and stuff like that, I got a problem. Because I'm missing the point. What is the point? Well, um, we know from paintings or from sculptures, right, and from writings from the period, that it was very in vogue, it was very popular, it was very cool, for very wealthy men to wear special hats in public. And these special hats... First off, they told people, I'm rich, right? I mean, if I could wear a special hat that tells people I'm rich, I would. I'd be lying. But <laughs> they had special hats that they wore to let people know they were rich. And the other thing that they, these hats did was, they said, I'm rich because of this pagan god having blessed me. But it was a very cool thing to do. Now, we know from the previous section that God doesn't exist, right? The, fake, the pagan God doesn't exist. And so you could wear that hat, and it's not actually honoring a pagan God. But what had happened was, you had these fairly well-to-do people who were in charge of this church who would stand up on Sunday morning with their special hat on to let everybody know, I'm rich. Everybody with me? And that hat was associated with a pagan God. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to stand up and you're going to do this, first off, you're putting something that's associated with a pagan god on your head. Don't do that. Right? Why? Because it has something to do with a pagan god? No. Because it has something to do with Jesus, or with, with other followers. Like if the people around you are watching you and they're like, wait a minute, he's got a Viking's hat on, everybody knows the Vikings are evil. <laughs> they all sleep in, I guess. <laughs> um, it, you know, like, like it, it, it's to make this point. He says, listen, don't do anything that's going to cause other people to stumble. Right? And so if this custom causes other people to stumble, don't do it. Everybody with me? It's not about the hat. It's about what you do that disgraces Christ in public. And if your status is more important than being humble in front of God, and if your declaration of this pagan, you know, of your status like is associated with a pagan God and can cause other people to stumble, that's a problem. We move on. Um, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. We're going to pause that for a second. Okay, every woman who's got a hat on, raise your hand. You're all in trouble. <laughs> Rose wins. You get to go early. Um, <laughs> um, is this about hats? Sort of, but not really. What would happen in that culture is, if you were married, a married woman would wear a special head covering to let people know, I'm taken. Right? It's not quite like a burqa or anything crazy like that. It would be like a, like a veil that you wore, like a, like a headband or, you know, like a, a you know, think ancient world hat thing. Right? <laughs> and, and you would wear it to show people, hey, I'm married. Right? Well, in that culture, Rich people, again, those rich people, um, <laughs> rich people had taken to not wearing those head coverings, right? Because they had become liberated women who were free to do whatever they wanted. 
And these are women in the church who would say, first off, I'm rich, so I can do what rich people do. And secondly, right, secondly, I'm free. Because Jesus died for me, I don't have to like follow any of these customs. And so these fairly wealthy women were standing up to lead prayer and to do prophecy, and they were not wearing their unmarried head covers. Right? Now I'm going to hit pause here. Years ago, I lost my wedding ring. Um, this is when I was younger. And, and I was working in, in an electronic store. We were just married, and I lost my wedding ring. And, and um, I had, you know, somebody actually dropped it in the customer's bag, and they brought it back later that day. You know, I'm like tearing apart the store looking for my wedding ring. And, and so I had to get it resized, and so we brought it up to the store, and they said, well, it's going to take a week. And so I had a week that I went without my wedding ring. And the only time in my entire life anything like this has ever happened, right? Like, it was, it was the planets lined up, and, and the school for the blinds let their kids out or something. But I was asked out on dates eight times, like, the first day. It was insane. <laughs> well, no, I'm married. You know, where's your ring? What's the problem? I can't have my ring on, right? Where's the ring say? The ring says hands off, right? I'm taken. Uh, so when women all of a sudden are standing up in church, they're free to not wear that heavy covering. Why? Because it has nothing to do with Jesus, right? But they're not wearing it to proclaim their freedom. What does that say about the husband sitting there? Right? Like, they don't reflect the on him. Um, and so what he's doing, what women were doing, they were expressing their freedom in Christ, but in expressing their freedom in Christ, they were kind of humiliating their husbands. My body humiliates me all the time. I wish it would cooperate with my, what my brain thinks, right? But it doesn't. Um, ideally, like amongst married folks, there would be this level of cooperation. We wouldn't try to humiliate each other in public, right? Just as much as I do well on my own. Um, <laughs> the paper helped. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, but this is what was happening. Women were humiliating their husbands by not wearing their head coverings and not acknowledging their marriage. Um, and he says, look, you might as well be like one of these women whose heads are shaved. Two kinds of women have their heads shaved in this culture, right? Prostitutes and women who are caught in adultery. Um, it would be a punishment. You would shave their heads, right? Like, so if, if, you know, I came home and I caught my wife with a neighbor, I might, you know, you would shave her head to humiliate her as a punishment. And it would be part of probably several countries, but it would be like a common thing. And so Jesus says, listen, or Paul says, listen, when you show up in public and you don't even acknowledge your marriage, you're humiliating yourself. Because you're stepping away from this thing that's attached to you, this thing that you're supposed to be in an integral relationship with. You're supposed to be connected. And so you humiliate your husband, but you're humiliating you. Like, one and the same. I'm coming around to this. This will make sense in a little bit. I need to cover the text first, though. Um, for if a woman does not cover her head, let her also cut her hair off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Meaning, if you're going to ignore your husband, if you're going to humiliate him, you might as well go all the way and humiliate yourself. But if it's not okay to humiliate yourself, don't do it to him. Everybody with me? This does fit to the kingdom man thing. I'll get there. Um, for a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. What does that mean? Um, there's an old story, Johnny Lingo and his eight cowwife. I heard this when I was in high school. It's one of my favorite stories. It's, it's about a Pacific island this man visits, and he, 
be this this island has this like setup where if I wanted a wife, I would have to buy her, right? And you know, you could buy your wife a cow, right, or two cows. And like a really hot woman, like a really amazing woman, you might pay three or four cows for her, right? The average woman, one or two, and like kind of, you know, the, the, the bargain bin woman is like one cow or maybe a couple of goats. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm a bad person. Um, when, when this man is walking around the island, he's talking to all of these people, they, and he asks about the marriages and the cows and everything, they all make fun of Johnny Lingo. Johnny Lingo is a very, very wealthy man from another island, and he paid eight cows for his wife. Eight, which is unheard of. Nobody pays eight cows for their wife. And his wife, she was like a rabbit in a gerbil wife. I mean, like, and everybody knew it, but he paid eight cows for her. And, and this man goes to find Johnny Lingo, and he meets his wife, and, and his wife's a knockout, right? And he sits down with Johnny Lingo, and he's like, What's, why does everybody think this is so funny? And he's like, well, everybody thought she was ugly, but I married her. And I knew the moment I talked to her, the moment I spent time with her, that she was the best woman I had ever met. And I fell head over heels in love with her. And, and there was no way my wife was going to go around having other folks look and say, my husband paid the lowest he could to get me. And so I paid more than any other man would pay for his wife because I wanted my wife to know she's worth eight cows to me. Right? Why? Because she needs to be proud. She needs to know how much I love her. I'm proud of my wife. I love her. My wife is terrific. She's put up with so much junk out of me, and she has been so great to me, and, and I'm very proud of her. Right? When I go places, I am proud of her. I'm proud when people need her. I'm proud when people spend time around us together. I like that, right? Um, my wife, to a degree, is my glory, right? I've met guys whose glory is their sports car. Anybody ever know anyone like that? And they wash it 14 times a week, right? And you can't lean on it because it's a problem. If you lean on it, it's going to be a fight. Um, what Paul is saying here is, look, the connection between you and your husband is so much so that you're his glory. And you need to stand and acknowledge that you're his glory. Right? So it's not about wearing hats. It's about connection between husband and wife. What role do you play? My wife is laughing back there. I'm getting torn up, I think. <laughs> no, we were saying that it's probably more of a don't touch my tractor thing here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is that the translation? Do we not touch each other? You, you got my combine money. Um, I heard that this morning. Now that makes sense. I, <laughs> I, um, because, all right, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. So what does this mean? Does that mean that woman is there to serve us? No. It means that woman is supposed to be connected to man, and she's supposed to be his glory, right? So like my connection to my spouse, she is my glory. Right? I'm proud of her. I think she's beautiful. I think she's perfect the way she is. Um, now, we're going to hit pause here. What if we apply this in the other direction? Right? What's man's role in relation to Christ? Ooh, that's tricky, isn't it? That means that my acknowledgement of Christ in public is a big deal. Right? My standing clean and tall and proud as a godly man, as a kingdom man who changes the world around him, that's a big deal. 
right? It's as big a deal as my wife wearing her wedding ring in public. Um, it's a huge deal. And so as a kingdom man, I have a responsibility to reflect Christ and to bring glory to him. The same way as my wife has a responsibility to acknowledge that she's my wife. You know, and to stand tall and proud that I'm her husband. Um, Brooke's not here, so I'm going to say nice things about her. One of the coolest things about the Andersons is I have never met a family where their kids brag about their dad so much as teenagers. Right? I expect that they carry a pedestal for Brooke sometimes. Isn't it true? Like, that's the way God designed us. This is an example, right? This is how we're supposed to be in relation to Christ. We're supposed to point to him and say, awesome, right? He serves us. I'm supposed to serve my wife the same way. I'm supposed to love my wife the same way. I'm supposed to sacrifice myself for her the same way. And her job is to acknowledge it and to be, like, beautiful in that presence, right? Am I a beautiful person? Not really. If you knew my heart, you knew my mind, if you knew the way I behave, if you knew how I am, like, behind closed doors, like, I'm not a great guy, right? But in Christ, there's awesome stuff going on. Because Paul started with it, imitate Christ. When I imitate Christ, I'm at my best. Uh, and so what Paul gives us is this great analogy about wearing hats in church. It's kind of silly, isn't it? But what's it about? It's about reflecting God's glory in our daily existence. Um, for my wife, for wives, it's about this job, living in that glory that I bring to the table. But the weight's on me. The weight's on you, men. Congratulations. You carry it. Um, and it's yours to live up to. But it's not live up to by your own strength. It's live up to by the grace and by the mercy and by the power of Christ who lives in you and who makes all good things happen in you. Um, we're going to keep going. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angel. The angels are um, people who are sharing God's message, meaning that my wife should acknowledge me because if my wife goes out to the, like, I don't know, where do women go to pick up men around here, do they? Right? Tractor store? <laughs> where do men hang out? I don't know. Like, I, I've not been a single woman in a while. <laughs> Surely not in Montana. If, if my wife went out to, I don't know, the men, is that where the men hang out? I'm not sure. The coffee shop. My wife would, really? It's not the coffee shop. Big R. <laughs> if my wife went out to the singles club without her wedding ring on and hung out, right, like without her symbol of authority on her, like that's a problem, right? And so he says, listen, um, women, when you stand up in public, right, you need to acknowledge your husband. If you don't acknowledge your husband, it puts shame on the people who are sharing the gospel, right? Because if you act loose and you don't, like, manage to live right in, by your marriage, it's going to damage the angels, the angels, like the word angel literally means messenger, people who are carrying the gospel out. So you keep your business together. Why? Because sharing Christ with people is a huge deal. Why? Because without Jesus, people go to hell. Like, that's a hard reality. I know I joke a lot, but this is the truth of it. Like, people go to hell without Christ. Like, there is no other way to be forgiven. There's no other door to heaven. Jesus is it. And so if you do things that blow that off and damage it, not okay. And not okay on a cosmic scale, on an eternity scale. We have to reflect it all the time, and we have to do a good job of it. Um, 
can keep going. However, in the Lord, now he, here's the break, and here's how you know that this is about the key, okay? Because it's not about long hair, it's not about haircuts, it's not about hats, it's not about anything. It's about what it's about. And here's, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also man have his, has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So he says, all right, all of this stuff, listen, men and women hooked together, completely connected. You can't break them apart. Like, so in this marriage context, understand they're connected to each other. Um, we could all, you know, continue the analogy backward and say, men, kingdom men, people who represent Jesus, you're connected to Christ. And if you throw that off, it's a problem. So to be a kingdom man properly, we have to reflect Christ all the time. Here's my application, okay? By the way, we're not going to finish the passage here, but there's a whole thing about long hair and short hair and all that that's just a continuation of this, right? Paul is just working his way through this you have to represent Jesus all the time. And you have to do it well. And in your relationships, you have to act as Jesus. So if you are a married man, you serve your wife. You reflect God's glory. You love her. You sacrifice for her. You take care of her. You honor her. You do these things that Jesus does for us, right? And why do you do it? Because you're imitating Christ. For women, I haven't done much for women this so far, okay? Um, in your freedom, you have to honor your husband, right? You do. You have to honor that relationship. Um, you have to reflect the glory of God that's in him. This is a part of the deal. You both carry the weight. Um, for single folks, single women and single men, they do exist, I know. Um, it doesn't, like, end there. You, you carry Christ's glory. You serve the people around you. I mean, the analogy doesn't like, is, is hooked to this marriage thing, but it's not exclusively about marriage. It's about you and Jesus. And so you have to reflect Christ. You have to like, acknowledge his glory. You have to acknowledge him as the guy in charge, the head, and we're the rest of it, right? Um, this is what the passage calls us to. And this is what we're called to as believers, to carry God's glory forward as people. Um, uh, we're going to... Actually, I'm going to skip past because we're not going to work our way through the rest of the passage there. I, I, um, kind of, all right, so here, first off, how we treat our spouses. Secondly, how we ought to act. We ought to act in a way that reflects Christ in our relationships. Um, as the church, it's our job, right? The last thing, and then we're going to be done here. As the church, it's our job. Because if Christ is the head of the church, it's our job to go out and serve the people of our community. It's our job to go out and serve the lost. It's our job to take care of poor people. It's our job to take care of people who are ashamed. Um, it's not our job to gossip about it. Anybody know somebody who's really screwing up in life and it's really fun to sit around and talk about how they messed up again? I just know people like that, really. You read the paper, apparently I'm one of those guys. Um, <laughs> it's our job to go out and take care of those people and not make fun of them. It's our job to go out and serve those people. To redeem them, to cover them, um, to feed them, to, to do these things. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. We're supposed to reflect his glory. We're supposed to point to him. Not our status, not our wealth, not how good we are compared to them. This is our job. We're going to close in prayer. Do you have a last song there? Um, Stars. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning. Help us to reflect your glory in all that we do. Help us to point to you with our lives. Help us to 
to honor Christ in our relationships, in our in our marriage, um, as kingdom men, Lord. I pray that that um, the men in this place would um, move in a way that the Spirit would would act through them and touch their wives and their neighbors and their their families and everybody they come into contact with, and that they would um, spread your kingdom to all people in Christ's name. Amen.